Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. And finally, and most importantly, better looks like rebuilding America in ways that move all of us forward with equity at the center of everything that we do so that no community and no person is left behind because we are better together and because diversity is this nation's greatest strength. If equity is at the center of everything you do, Mitch Landrew, White House senior advisor, former uh, mayor of uh, New Orleans, or was he the governor of New Orleans, uh, of Louisiana? Infrastructure Act Implementation Coordinator, that's who he is. Introducing Joe Biden, who's going to talk about building a better America. If equity is the center of what you do, how could this have any value whatsoever? Equity is about an equality of outcomes. That's what that's about. It is not about creating value. It's certainly not about meritocracy. And it certainly can't build anything better because it's not meant to actually build things. It's meant to distribute things. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. It is so good to be with you. Facebook, Tony Katz Radio. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. Instagram and Twitter and Getter at Tony Katz. Leland Vitter of News Nation Now scheduled to be with us a little bit later in the program. Break down Joe Biden's very, very, very bad month. But let's hear what President Biden has to say about $1.2 trillion worth of infrastructure. Very much, Mitch. It, let's see if he yells at anybody. There's a lot of talk about uh, disappointments and things we haven't gotten done. We're going to get a lot of them done, I might add. But this is something we did get done. And it's of enormous consequence to the country. One of the reasons I put Mitch Landrieu in charge of uh, implementing the infrastructure bill is because he gets it. He's a former mayor who knows that the real measure of success is not did we score some partisan points. It's did we fix the problem? Did we fix the problem? It's all about fixing the problem. I ran for president to unite the country. This bipartisan infrastructure law I signed two months ago unites us around uh, things we all depend on. Whether you're in rural Kentucky or downtown Philadelphia, you should be able to turn on a faucet and drink clean water. Students should be able to get the Internet if they needed to do their homework at home instead of having to drive to a fast food parking lot. People need good jobs. Mitch just told me about the man he met in Jackson, Mississippi, who told him, quote, I don't mind working three jobs. I just don't want one paycheck across all three jobs. You know, we've heard it said talent is equally distributed, but opportunity is not. When we invest in infrastructure, we're really investing in opportunity. These are investments that uh, will build a, a better America. Sounds like hyperbole, but it's real. So today I want to talk about the progress we made in two months since I signed the bill into law and to make a big announcement as well. Here's some of what we've done so far. The Department of Transportation has released nearly $53 billion, billion dollars to states to modernize highways. So you have to leave 30 minutes earlier to get to work just because of a traffic jam. That's going to be fixed. We've announced more than $240 million in grants to improve ports in 19 states to speed up and strengthen our supply chains, lower cost, and get you the things you need more quickly. We've announced $3 billion 
for over 3,000 airports around the country to make them more modern, safe, and sustainable. And we're kicking off the largest investment in affordable, reliable, high-speed internet in our nation's history, $65 billion, to get to every corner of our country connected, urban, rural, and suburban. Our infrastructure work also protects health, cleans up the environment, and helps us fight climate change. Across this country, people have been struck, and, uh, they, they, and, and they've been struck by all the changes that are needed. They're stuck, they're angry, they're sickened by the broken water and sewer systems, polluted water from the faucets, raw sewage in their backyards. I want you to know, I see you, I hear you, we understand. And I've seen and we've understand the damage done in places like Flint, Michigan, and Jackson, Mississippi. So we've already announced over $7 billion in clean water funding to states so they can fix and upgrade their aging water systems and sewer systems. It's going to take some time, but the money's there and they're getting the money. Our children deserve no less. We've also released. I got to ask. Does the clean drinking water conversation still move people? I favor clean drinking water. I'm asking, does it move people? This is a line that's gone on from the left for forever. We're going to provide clean drinking water, and the right doesn't believe in clean air, and it's blah, blah, blah. Does it still move? The line is old. It's, it's, it's almost as old as Joe Biden. It's just there and all sorts of silly. But they go back to it time and time again. Time and time again. By the way, if equity is at the center of everything you do, do you provide the clean drinking water to the areas that need it? Or do you provide uh, clean drinking waters uh, to areas based on race? I'm asking for a friend. I'm curious as to how this whole equity thing is supposed to work out. The only way equity at the center of things works out is if you accept the idea that bigotry is good. New York, Utah, uh, they have been deciding they're going to treat COVID patients based on race, not based on need. Equity, right? Sure. Sure. Just letting people die for the color of their skin. No, it's on you. Uh, that's on the equity folk. Uh, me, uh, 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 my, my, my ledger is clear. Let's bring it back to President Biden. Saw technologies being developed there. And just this week, the Department of Interior also announced the largest ever offshore wind lease sale, which could generate enough clean energy to power nearly two million homes and create thousands of jobs in manufacturing, construction, operations, and maintenance. It's just the beginning. Jobs that can't be outsourced. We've also seen the impact of extreme weather, taking down transmission lines, leaving cities and communities dark for weeks. So the Department of Energy launched a new initiative to speed up our efforts to strengthen our energy grid with new and upgraded transmission lines and towers, keeping the power flowing for Americans with cleaner, cheaper and more reliable energy. And that's going to happen. It's going to make a big difference. I also want to be clear. We're in this to win. And, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot of work underway. And it's going to create a whole lot of jobs. And that brings me to the announcement I want to make today. It's just part of the infrastructure bill. My bipartisan infrastructure law includes the largest investment in our nation's bridges since the creation of the interstate highway system. Bridges to connect us. Bridges to make America work. 
Across our country right now, there are 45,000 bridges, 45,000, that are in poor condition. We're seeing photos of some of them behind me in all 50 states. And I've had a chance to see some of them myself as I've traveled the country. I was up in New Hampshire, visited a bridge where, if it's not upgraded, weight restrictions could mean the school buses and fire trucks would have to travel an additional 10 miles out of the way to get to the other side of the river to deal with getting to school and or putting out a fire. In New Jersey, I just visited the busiest rail bridge in the Western Hemisphere. But because it's not tall enough, for uh, ship traffic, it needs to swing open to let barges through. And sometimes when it closes, the rails need to be manually sledgehammered back into place. This slows commerce, increased cost. I went down to Louisiana and saw the I-10 bridge. I stood with the mayor and looked at that bridge. It's 20 years past its planned life. It's handling more than double the number of crossings it was designed to handle. And it's two lanes narrower than the interstate that feeds into it, causing backups and accidents. So fix the bridge. No one is discussing with you, sir, whether or not you should fix the bridges. This conversation isn't happening. If the bridge can't do the job, fix the bridge. But you told us, according to Mitch Landrew, that equity is at the center of everything you do. So do you fix the bridge that most needs to be fixed? Or do you take a look at the population and determine there aren't enough of this kind of person and that kind of person, so that bridge will wait and those people could just fall and die for all we care? We're going to fix the bridge where the equity makes the most sense. It's on you, President Biden. It's on you. Meanwhile, Joe Rogan has a story to tell. And the people who hate Joe Rogan, they don't hate Joe. They hate the fact that he wants to tell a story and in the story he's telling. I'll explain it coming up. Keep it right here. I'm Tony Katz. A lot of people have been making a lot of hay about Joe Rogan. Because Joe Rogan's having a conversation that they don't approve of. Me, I'm a believer that more free speech is good. The more people engage in a conversation, the better are the better off we are. If only because when people say you can't engage in a conversation, well, you may be happy that so-and-so can't speak. Wait till it happens to you. Free speech never exists for the people that you love. It exists for the people that you hate. Free speech exists for the people and the speech that you despise. Because somebody out there despises you, and you shouldn't allow them to stop you from speaking. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today, it is so good to be with you. They want Joe Rogan off of Spotify. They've written letters saying that Joe Rogan should be censored on Spotify. It was funny. Ben Shapiro had put out a tweet. That said, I assure all of those, particularly those in the media, calling for Joe Rogan's censorship, Joe is laughing at you, and he should be. He's willing to talk with pretty much anybody. He isn't beholden to your corporations, and his audience dwarfs yours because of those things. That's a pretty good take. I think the take comes from this right here. 
So Joe has been pretty vocal on his take on on COVID and ways to deal with it. He himself got COVID and he took zinc and ivermectin and a whole host of things. And people are like, ivermectin? You mean that horse dewormer? But of course, ivermectin is not a horse dewormer. It's used on human beings. It has won the Nobel Prize. And the people who screamed horse dewormer are worthless liars. They're liars. They are what they are. People who lie are not worth your time. But think of what the lie was based on. Lying about Joe Rogan and Ivermectin was about preventing him from being able to get a conversation out or at least attempting to. But by bringing so much attention to it, they brought so much attention to it. They made Rogan famous. More famous. And that upsets them. But what should upset them more is that Joe is indeed willing to speak to people. I've never met Joe Rogan. I'm willing to speak to people. Happy to speak to people. You know, we reach out to people, we don't get a response. Oh, they don't want to come on this show. No, they're not going to do that interview. I don't know, maybe we're not big enough for them. And they've got their egos involved in it as opposed to wanting to talk and share and engage. I don't know, whatever it is, it is. But I applaud Joe for being willing to talk to people. One of the people he spoke to was a doctor. And the conversation came up about myocarditis, right? Inflammation of the heart. And in this conversation that took place on his podcast, they're talking about whether or not the vaccine increases the opportunities for myocarditis in children. For young boys in particular, there's an adverse risk associated with the vaccine. It's like yes. a two to four fold increase in the instances of myocarditis. Yes, but you know what? Hospitalization. The, you know that there's an increased risk of myocarditis in, among that age cohort from getting COVID as well, which exceeds the risk of myocarditis from the vaccine. I don't think that's true. I don't think it it's is. true. I don't. No, no, no. I don't think it's true that there's an increased risk of myocarditis from people catching COVID that are young versus increased risk of myocarditis from the vaccine. No, there is. There's both. Well, let's look that up because I don't think that's true. <laughs> There's both. Myocarditis is more common after COVID-19 infection than vaccination. But is this with children? Uh, yeah, we're talking about young people. Men and boys aged under 30 after this is what it says here. With, with children is the issue. Well, no, we were talking about 15-year-olds. Well, we're talking about young children. Male so, yes, child. 12 to 17. 12 to 17, more likely to develop myocarditis within three months of catching COVID at a rate of 450 cases per million infection. This compares to 67 cases of myocarditis per million at the same time following their second dose of Pfizer. Yeah, so you're about eight times likely to get myocarditis from getting COVID than from getting the vaccine. That's interesting. Now, that, that is said, not what I've read before, but also it's like, when, even when we're reading these things, it's like, what are we getting this from? Is this from well, the He's asking, does it come from the VAERS report? And I'm not somebody who has ever utilized VAERS report data because that's self-reported data, and that's not enough for me. But neither here nor there. Let's go back to this conversation. The people who don't want Joe Rogan to speak, who don't think certain doctors should be allowed to be on Twitter, some doctors shouldn't be allowed to give their uh, uh, opinions. If you give an opinion that the CDC disagrees with, somehow you should be thrown in jail or, 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 or whatever the case may be. The censoring that goes on. Are we really better off without this conversation where Joe Rogan invited a doctor on? They were talking about myocarditis. And now we can see in in data as they're reading from a website 
kids who get COVID have a higher chance of getting myocarditis, heart inflammation, than just from the vaccine. Don't you think that's data we should have? Don't you think that's information we should know? I believe that's data we should have and information that we should know. And good on Joe Rogan for bringing it to us. Why would we be opposed to this? What person out there is opposed to it? You know what they're saying? Ha ha, that Joe Rogan, he got it wrong. We showed up. We showed how, how he doesn't know anything. He was absolutely right about ivermectin, and you lied like a bunch of you-know-whats. He didn't scream, "I how dare you call me wrong? He looked at that and said, huh, that is not what I've read. Like a rational person. That's what we want. We want this. That's what we desire. We don't need less speech. We need more speech. We need more people engaged in more conversations. This is how it's better. This is how it's better. Of course it is. But man, Rogan has got everybody so worked up. How dare he say anything that Dr. Anthony Fauci hasn't approved of. The blessed Fauci. Praise be his name. It's incredible, really, that uh, you, you watch people claim to, to value the American way of life, but they don't value the things that make it the American way of life. They don't. They don't value free speech. They don't value open conversation. They don't value it at all. As a matter of fact, they hate it. And they want to ruin it. They want to end it. When you take a look at where the Democratic Party is on voting rights, you have to vote for the Democrats and you have to do what they want. You have to get rid of the filibuster. Otherwise, you'll never be able to trust the vote again. And Republicans shouldn't be allowed to have a say anyway. That's their take. That's their point of view. And that's, that's valueless. Meanwhile, Joe Biden speaking about infrastructure. Jen Psaki trying to explain how everything's just fine. And if you don't believe it, well, well that's your problem. Leland Vittert from News Nation Now is going to break it down. Exactly how bad has this week and month been? How does the Biden team get it back on track, and can they? Does this play in midterms already? And is anybody getting fired? Keep it right here. This is Tony Katz today on Facebook, Tony Katz Radio. So let's now not think of this from our uh, political or ideological side. Let's take a look at this honestly, clearly, directly, thusly. This last month of the Biden administration has been, for the Biden administration, a mess. They have fallen on their face repeatedly. They have not been able to get through anything. It has been infighting. It has been their own party rejecting their own party's ideas and ideals. At some moment, someone says, hey, this isn't working. Hey, I need to make a change. Hey, from the outside looking in, they don't think we are competent and we need to show that we've got everything under control. And you need far more 
far, far more than a president who's screaming at you and yelling at you as Joe Biden's been doing. What is the situation in in the White House right now? What's the situation with the party? How are they going to get this under control? Where do Republicans see the opportunity? Is anybody going to lose their job? If if we take a look at the Indianapolis Colts and we realize that Chris Ballard, the general manager, isn't talking much about Carson Wentz, is Carson Wentz now out of a job? He lost the last two games of the season, the two games you had to win, at least one of the two, in order to get into the playoffs. Maybe. But if he had won either one of those games, we wouldn't be having this conversation. Sometimes somebody has to get fired. Leland Vitter joins us right now from News Nation Now. He's the host of On Balance with Leland Vitter, and you can check that out uh, over there at News Nation. Uh, I'm... First, let's maybe take take a step back, Leland, and, and you're a journalist. You, you, you take it from a news perspective, and I try not to ask you things that aren't based in that news perspective world. That said, I think it's an acceptable question to ask. On a scale of 1 to 10, how bad has the last 30 days been for the Biden administration? It would be hard to understand without having a major catastrophe, if you will, how it would be worse. And that's not me saying it. That's the American public saying it. Yesterday, exclusive News Nation polling came out. Biden at 42 percent. Quinnipiac had him at 33. Fine. But at 42 percent, 50 percent of Americans think the pandemic's going to go on forever. 75 percent are worried about another variant. This is the virus that the president promised to shut down. And get this, 40 percent say the biggest problem facing America is covid 45% say the biggest problem facing America is inflation. 90% of Americans are worried about inflation. It's not when one thing goes wrong. It's when a couple of things go wrong and a politician or a president can't turn and pivot to a win. And we've seen over the past month, and you're right to go back for a month, uh, the president tried to get a win on Build Back Better. Didn't happen. He tried to get a win on COVID over Christmas. Didn't happen. He tried to get a win on supply chain over Christmas. Didn't happen. He's tried to get a win on inflation. Hasn't happened. Tried to get a win on voting rights. Got shut down. There's nowhere that this White House can turn for a win, and that's what makes it so difficult for them. When you hear Jen Psaki, though, let's play a little devil's advocate, you, me, and we. Jen Psaki will tell you, we've created millions of jobs. There's a win. We see it a little bit differently. And we still have the opportunity within our party to get uh, Build Back Better done. And we've got a vast majority of Democrats in favor of voting rights. This, I, I, can't, I can't make that up. That's how she, she's, she's spinning it. This is, I'm assuming, base-saving stuff. But when we talk about Midwest Main Street, uh, you know, you're in Chicago, I'm here in Indianapolis. When we talk about uh, the the vast majority of America's soccer moms, and we know how important they were to the election uh, of 2020, they're not buying that. They just see that meat is more expensive at the grocery store. Right. She can sell whatever she wants. And look, Jen is a good press secretary, and kudos to her. And we we said that on air last night. Her problem isn't that she can't sell it. It's that nobody else is buying it. 
And by the way, not only is the Midwestern sensibilities not buying it, um, where 60 percent of Americans say they're either worse off or the same as they were last year when President Biden took office, but the base isn't buying it either. You know, President Biden went down, brought the vice president with him to do the big speech in Atlanta, in which he said, either you're with me or you're, you are a racist, okay? None of the base showed up. Stacey Abrams, who's running for governor, didn't show up. The voting rights groups that supposedly this is all about didn't show up. And there's a, there's a feeling, and I take no pleasure in saying this. As you, you know, I'm a journalist, and as Americans, we all want the president to do well. We can disagree on policy or whatever, but it's never good for America for the president to be flailing. I didn't say failing. I said flailing. Right. And that's sort of what this what this administration looks like from the outside, right? They're all over the place. There appears to be no strategy other than to yell at people and say, if you don't agree with us, you're racist. And there's no wins. That's not that's just not good for the country. And it's really bad for the country. And I know you keep a close eye overseas on stuff. It's real bad for the country for Vladimir Putin to see that and for Xi Jinping of China to see that. And for them to take, they can take advantage of that. And that's where this gets even scarier. Talking to Leland Vittert of News Nation, now on balance with Leland Vittert, weekdays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Central. I'm staring at Ron Klain. Speaking of Indianapolis, an Indianapolis guy. I'm staring at Ron Klain, the White House Chief of Staff, and I'm asking myself, how does he still have a job? So let's get now to it, right? Loyalty is a thing. Ron Klain has been with Joe Biden for forever and a day when Joe Biden was vice president. And even, I think, before that, he was the Ebola uh, czar was, was, was Ron Klain. But the chief of staff is supposed to be helping to make these things happen, and everything hasn't worked, just like NFL teams get rid of the quarterback. Is the White House prepared to say, we can't have another loss, we need a change of direction, we need a new team? Ron, there's the door. It's a great question. I haven't seen any reporting that it's anywhere close to that. Um, you know, Obviously, Kamala Harris's team has gotten shaken up drastically in a year just consider this and and i want it it, it's an intellectual exercise and we all we always say you know two things can be true at once on the show as a journalist you you kind of have to draw back on history the end of 2021 into 2022 so we're january of 2022 right now looks an awful lot like january of 2018 right the the moderates in the party are being asked to answer for the president's extreme rhetoric the far extreme of the party is unhappy that the president isn't doing more and hasn't gotten more accomplished. Okay, the White House is is a mess in terms of how it's being run. Okay, people are talking about the chief of staff getting fired. Uh, you've got big issues in terms of dysfunction, and by the way, the agenda is really stalled. History doesn't necessarily repeat itself. But it kind of rhymes, right? I, I, I that that's Mark Twain, right? Are you quoting Mark yeah. Twain? Are you cribbing Mark Twain and not giving him credit? I, I, exactly, exactly. He's a great Missourian. I'm I'm allowed to crib Twain. Oh. By the way, I want you to know, great Missourian, yesterday I recorded my Eat, Drink, Smoke radio show, you know, the Cigar and Bourbon show, and we decided we were going to do a beer. I did the stand usual number six from Urban Chestnut Brewing. 
Well, you know, that's nice, and it would be even nicer. And I, I really always appreciate you inviting me on the radio show, and I know we have good time on the on the tube when, when you're able to fit us into your schedule. Uh, but I have never been invited for Eat, Drink, and Smoke. I, you I want think, to be I invited for Eat, Drink, Smoke? I think that's because you know I could both eat and drink you out of house and home, and you just haven't gotten big enough sponsors yet. First things first, I am very okay with people being bigger drinkers than me. I Live your life. <laughs> No, no problem. Secondly, agreed. I haven't gotten big enough sponsors yet. And this is the madness. Totally the madness. Are you kidding? I, I will ask you this. I mean, you, you bring it up. You, 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 you bring it up. Said, well, I brought up Stan Mutual. You bring it up. Talk to Leland Vitter of On Balance with Leland Vitter on News Nation. Um, are you noticing? I mean, you guys are building a network over there, right? And, you, and you've, got, you've got serious people. Is, is it Bill Shine who's running things? Bill Shine is is a consultant. Uh, okay. Sean Compton is our our, our fearless president, uh, and then you've got Michael Corn of uh, Good Morning America, who's running the news division here. So I mean these these are these are seasoned seasoned people. This is a serious effort that's going on, and, and I'm and I'm liking what's happening. I guess the question is, what are you finding? Because one of the things that 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 I've noticed, right? You know, you know, I do two shows a day in terms of of the politics, is that. I can't talk COVID anymore. I don't want to talk COVID anymore. I, in, engaging with an audience, they don't want to hear another stinking word about the insanity that people have put forward. So when you're creating a, 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 a news network, I, mean, I am, I'm asking for a little bit of behind the scenes to the best that you can give it to me. When you're creating this and you're seeing the overload, is it that youth, that you guys are bringing it differently? Or is it that you, you realize that when you bring it, you got to kind of mix it up because it can't just be this insanity 24-7-365? Well, I'll tell you this. I can't, I can't speak for the network, um, and, I'm, and I'm really admiring of what all the, all the shows will do. I can speak for what we try to do for our hour, um, 7 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Central, and that's where Chris Russell, my executive producer, and I kind of live and focus all of our talents. And what's, what's really been wonderful about this opportunity and experience is that the only mandate I've been given is to go out and do good journalism and to hold both sides' feet to the fire. Uh, and I think, you know, the, the show's name was On Balance, and every, you know, people love to pick apart one segment and go, well, that wasn't balanced. Well, of course it wasn't, because you can't do a segment right now about President Biden and have it be balanced. There's nothing, there's, there's nothing to say, <laughs> hey, you're, you're doing, this is, this is what's great today. Right. But when things are great, you've got to give him his due, right? You know, when when things work out well, you've got you've got to go through and give him credit. Um, and so we like to think that the show, the show on on the whole is balanced right now. Um, and you know, when the Republicans do something that's really obnoxious, you call them out on it. And when Democrats do something that's really obnoxious and hypocritical, you call them out. On it. What's interesting to me and. Uh, on any given night, uh, there's about 10 million people watching cable news. Uh, that means there's 320 million Americans doing something else, right? Right. And they, ca- they don't. They don't necessarily care about politics. They, is, as exciting and interesting as the Beltway is to you and I, they care about meat prices at the grocery store. They care about crime in their cities. They care about their kids in school. That's not what's happening in Washington. That's what happens. That's what's happening at the school board. Um, crime. That's not what's happening in Washington. That's what's happening in the DA's office. And these are the issues that I think if, if we focus on uh, the anger of cable news and the elitism of network news don't really serve those issues.
what I've noticed in, in, in what we're doing with Eat, Drink, Smoke and how we've kind of moved that around, and this is kind of fascinating, we'll talk about, for example, cigar taxes, or we'll talk about what the supply chain issues are, not in a political sense, just laying out what they are. There's a site called Good Pods, which is a, a podcasting site, and they, and they rank uh, podcasts. We are number three in indie politics, and we're in the top 10 in their political section. We're Cigar and Bourbon Show, but because we're talking about these other things in this non-party kind of way, just kind of laying it out, it's resonating with people. Craziest thing in the world. The the most unintended response uh, ever. Uh, but uh, you, you like the way things are going over there and things are building pretty well over at News Nation? We're excited. Um, and I've never been more excited about an opportunity to do good journalism um, before and to have interesting conversations that matter. And, you know, look, we're able to have everybody from you on uh, to big name politicians to really liberal former DNC officials. I don't know. I think you may have been on one time. You know, Chris Hahn and I have great conversations all the time. And I, I really think that the, the audience benefits from both sides being asked tough questions. And going back to this idea of balance, you know, last night we did a segment about Biden's poll numbers, this News Nation poll, I don't know if you saw it, that said that only 31% of Americans trust Anthony Fauci, only 16% trust Joe Biden for COVID numbers. The first question out of my mouth to the pollster was, this is the, ba- this is the balance of any segment, right? Is, hey, is there any good news in this poll for Joe Biden? And the answer was no. But that, that's, where you get, that's where you get balance out of these segments. And, and the nice part about this job is, is I'm able to ask hard questions and insightful questions to everybody, and then you let the chips fall where they may. Leland Vittert is his name. On balance with Leland Vittert over there at News Nation Now, weekdays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Central. Leland, always good to talk with you. We will catch up soon. More coming up. I'm Tony Katz. Like, put this in a folder. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Democrats super angry about voting rights, and they're going to protect the right to vote. The tough guy routines from everybody is stunning. This was Representative Hakeem Jeffries out of New York. Speaker, I yield one minute to the gentleman from New York, the chairman of the House Democratic Caucus, Mr. Jeffries. Gentleman's recognized for one minute. Speaker, we are here today defending our democracy for one reason and one reason alone. It's because the radical right has decided that the only way they can consistently win elections is to engage in massive voter suppression. The right to vote is sacred. The right to vote is special. The right to vote is sacrosanct and central to the integrity of our democracy. There are people who died, lost their lives, shed blood, to make sure that black people and everyone in America could vote. We're not going backward. We're only going to go forward. You better back up off of us. We will pass the John Robert Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act. We will pass the Joe Manson. You better back up off of us? First of all, the voter suppression stuff, blah, blah, blah. We, we've heard that many, many times. And everyone in America could vote. We're not going backward. We're only going to go forward. You better back up off of us. What does that even mean? What kind of threatening language is that? You better back up off of us? Here, uh, Congressman, here's the question. Or what? 
I, I don't know how long I'm supposed to let that just hang there, but it's it's the question, right? That audio clip to me is, oh, that chef's kiss. It really is. Facebook Tony Katz Radio. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. More coming up. Keep it right here.